You're listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY podcast on iTunes. This week, Senior Minister Adam Hale brings us a special message leading into the Easter season called One More. Thank you for listening, and as always, we hope that this message encourages you in your walk to love and follow Jesus. Have a wonderful week. As we get started this morning, I, I want to ask you a question, um, and you may, as you think about it, you, the, ob- the answer may not be all that obvious, but uh, if I were to ask you what the most popular or most recognizable logo, uh, image, symbol that, that throughout the world, what would you think of? McDonald's, yeah, that was, that's a popular answer. Anybody else? Apple? Okay, so several, I, I didn't catch all of those, but if I were to tell you that Coca-Cola has often been referred to as the second most recognizable symbol in the entire world, that probably wouldn't surprise you a whole lot. In fact, you can take a, a Coke logo or a Coca-Cola can, and you can go to the, to the deepest depths of the world, and you can show that to uh, somebody, and they will know what it is. They will recognize that Coca-Cola logo. And part of the reason for that is because Coke is very passionate about their product. And their, their goal is to have a Coca-Cola within an arm's reach of every person in the entire world. Now think about that. That, that seems like a crazy, audacious goal, doesn't it? To have a, a Coke in arm's reach of 7 billion people. But notice I said it was the second most recognizable image in all the world. The first is the cross. The cross is the most recognizable image in all the world. And like Coca-Cola, we still have a lot of work to do in explaining the meaning and the beauty of the cross, not just around the world, but in our own community. In fact, if you were to draw a 15-mile radius around our church, you would have lots and lots and lots and lots of people who don't know about the cross. They don't know about the meaning of the cross. They would know what Coca-Cola was. You show them a Coke can and they would instantly be able to tell you, but they don't know what the cross is about. They haven't been introduced to Jesus. Never let, never let it be said that Coca-Cola is more passionate about sugar water, and that's what it is. Never let it be said of them that they are more passionate about sugar water than we are about Jesus. What Coca-Cola would be focused on is, is their potential they would never say well we've reached enough people right coca-cola would say hey we haven't gotten to our goal yet we haven't reached the entire world so there's still more people to reach we haven't gotten there yet and as the church maybe that should be our same mentality and not maybe it should be our same mentality that we would never reach a point in where we say hey we we have we've reached enough people we always want to reach for one more person coca-cola wouldn't focus on their success they would focus on their potential And that's what we want to focus on as well. We want to focus on our potential because God hasn't blessed us with success, although by church measurements, our church has been fairly successful. But God hasn't blessed us with success. He has blessed us with potential. And our potential is those in our community who do not yet know yet who Jesus is. People who don't know the links that Jesus went to in order to bring them this amazing grace that we sing about. People who haven't been introduced to this amazing thing known as the kingdom of God. And Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, and I love this, the way in which he describes the kingdom of God over in Matthew chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, flip over Matthew chapter 13. Tucked away in the middle of a passage of scripture where Jesus is telling lots of different stories, telling parables are three little verses that describe what the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like. 
Matthew chapter 13, here's what Jesus says. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything that he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. I love what this description of the kingdom of heaven is like. Because Jesus says it's like a buried treasure. And I've never found buried treasure, but I can only imagine that if I did, I would be very excited for it. Um, But because there's this idea that whatever's buried there is going to be incredibly valuable, right? We're going to find this treasure and all of our problems with money and all of uh, the world's problems are going to be over for us because we have this item that is of such value. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is that valuable. It's so valuable that the man who finds it would go and hide it. He would bury it in the ground so that nobody else would know where it was at until he could go back to buy the field. Until he could go back in and sell everything that he had to buy this field so that he could have this one thing in the field. He doesn't want the field. He wants what's in the field. Jesus says the kingdom of God is that valuable. It's like fine pearls. Now, I've never, I, I like to go to the beach. It's one of my favorite places in all the world. I've never found a pearl. I've never found an oyster with a pearl in it. But I, I can imagine that if I did, I'd be pretty excited about it. And I'd probably show it off to people and I'd say, hey, look what I found. And, and then I'd stick it in my pocket for safekeeping and I'd make sure that nobody else had it because it was mine, right? I found it. It's mine. I don't want the oyster. I want the pearl. Because it's that kind of value. Let me ask you a question. What gives something value? Because if I were to have like a a stick and a piece of gold, a bar of gold, and I were to ask you what's more valuable, what would we say? The gold, right? Unless you're on a deserted island. If you're on a deserted island, a bar of gold doesn't do you much good. A stick, on the other hand, could be very useful. It could be used for uh, procuring food or for making a fire. Maybe you make the fire and you melt the gold, but, but that gold, that bar of gold isn't going to do, do you much good, is it? Now, what gives something value is context. The context of your situation determines what's valuable. Now, I've told you before, but one of my favorite TV shows is uh, the reality, reality TV show, The Survivor. And in the context of the game of Survivor, the most valuable item, the most valuable commodity is immunity. If you have immunity, you cannot be voted off the island. You cannot be put out of the game. You still have a chance to win the million dollars. Immunity is the most valuable item. And a couple of years ago, they introduced a little twist to the game where they began to hide immunity, hidden immunity necklaces throughout the the, the place wherever they were playing, whether it was on the beach or in the jungle, wherever. But, and they would give contestants clues, and they could go and find these hidden immunity necklaces. I've been watching the current season, and we're about seven episodes in. And on the, the, one of the very, very first episodes, one of the contestants found this hidden immunity necklace. And you know what she did with it? She was so excited about it and, and so excited that she had this valuable commodity. You know what she did? She went and she buried it in the ground. She buried it in the sand so nobody else would know where it was and so that she could come back and get it back at a later point when she needed it. Isn't that what Jesus said this guy would do? He'd find something so valuable, he'd go and bury it and and put it somewhere safe, in safekeeping where he could get to it, where nobody else could to. That's exactly what this uh, contestant on Survivor did. She put it in in the beach. She hid it in the beach so that nobody else would know. And if context determines what's valuable... Then let's talk about the context of humanity and and the world. And what's the most valuable commodity 
in, in our context, in the, in the context of, human, uh, of humans and humanity. It's life. Life is the most valuable commodity in humanity. Now, I know that's not earth-shattering news to anybody. And when you think about it, you go, yeah, that makes sense. Life is obviously the most valuable thing. And people have understood this for centuries. When God breathed the breath of life into Adam and Eve, he breathed into existence the most valuable commodity that the world would ever know. Alexander the Great and his conquest uh, of the ancient world, part of the major reason for his uh, conquest was to find a river that would ravage time, the effects of time, so that he could become healthier and younger because he knew that time was the enemy of life. Ponce de Leon, one of the great explorers, uh, spent most of his entire adult life looking for the fountain of youth. He thought that if he could find this fountain, it would revitalize him and counter the effects of time, that he could have more life because he knew it was the most valuable thing in our existence. Life is the most valuable commodity. It's why we fight for the rights who haven't experienced life yet, the unborn. It's why we fight for uh, the right to preserve, or to preserve life for those who are nearing the end of it. It's why we work so hard. It's why we get up in the mornings and go, go to work. How many of you like getting up every morning and going to work? A couple of you. I have one of the greatest jobs in the world. I, I'll, but there are days where I don't want to get up and come to work. But I do. You know why? Because I value life. Because I want to have a better quality of life. That's why we all go to work, isn't it? So that we can have a better quality of life. And the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is where we find eternal life. People have searched for secrets that would allow them to live forever. They have searched for, for magical waters and mystical fountains that would, would allow them to live beyond uh, any age imaginable. And yet it's Jesus who gives us eternal life. It's, it's in the kingdom of God where we find the secret to live forever. And so if life is the most valuable commodity, then how much more valuable would eternal life be? It trumps everything, doesn't it? Eternal life found through the kingdom of, uh, of God is the most valuable thing in the entire world. Period. It's the thing that we would sell everything else we own to get. It's the, it's the thing that we would give up whatever was needed so that we could attain it. To sacrifice everything else so that we could achieve this. And Jesus says, if you want eternal life, you want to live forever... There's no mystical fountain. There's no uh, uh, special water. There's none of that. There's, there's no secret. The secret is, follow me. Jesus said, if you want that kind of life where you can live forever, all you have to do is follow me. So let me ask you another question. If you have something of great value, what would you do with it? What would you do if you had some, something of great value? Would you put it in the safe and, and put it, up and not ever let anybody know about it so that it would be you could protect it and it, it could be private maybe you might do that with some things but I bet you would tell somebody like I said I've never I've never uh, dug up a buried treasure but I imagine that if I did maybe after I cashed out all of the things that were in the in the treasure I might tell somebody I would probably tell somebody I'm sure of that in fact that I would tell somebody probably my wife probably tell her first and if I didn't uh, I may lose some of that treasure but I, we would tell somebody if you had the finest pearls you wouldn't you wouldn't just put them up and never wear them when you get dressed up and you go out on the town 
for a night, you put those pearls on and you show them off, wouldn't you? When uh, in the game of Survivor, when someone finds that one of these hidden necklaces, you know what every contestant every time does? They tell somebody else in the game. Every time. In fact, I was so proud of the, the girl that had found the, the first necklace in this, this season because she hadn't told anybody. Because it's usually not a good idea to, in, in the game of Survivor to tell somebody. She hadn't told anybody about this necklace until this last week's episode. She told uh, one of the other players, and I thought, okay, well, she's going to get voted out now because she has let out her secret that she has this immunity necklace. Coca-Cola unleashed one of the most successful campaigns in the history of marketing campaigns when they did their Share a Coke campaign. Anybody remember the Share a Coke campaign? You saw it. Maybe were even the recipient of a Coke because it had your name on it. One of the most uh, impressive campaigns that, that any company has ever done, they launched this campaign, the Share a Coke campaign, originally with 250 names. They would take Coke cans and they would put 250 of the most popular names in America on these cans. They put them in the stores, and, they, and people were buying them like crazy. You could even have them personalized, and, and you could call Coca-Cola and order them, and they would put, Craig, they would put your name on it. If, if, if Renee wanted to buy you some Cokes, they'd put your name on it. It was so successful that they saw a 2% increase in their sales, and Coke consumption, get this, Coke consumption increased globally from 1.7 billion, that's billion with a B, to 1.9 billion servings, Per day. Think about that. There is 1.9 billion servings of Coke consumed every day. Because of that success, they relaunched their campaign with over a thousand names. And, and like I said, you could get them personalized. My aunt for Christmas uh, a couple years ago gave me a, a six-pack of the little Coke bottles. And on it is a share of Coke with the Hell family. I've got one sitting in my office. But that's what we do, isn't it? We tell somebody else uh, uh, about things when we have something of value. We tell someone. And so then that leads to this question. We have the most valuable commodity in the entire world, right? Eternal life. That's, that's we're established. That's the most valuable thing. So we should be telling people about this, right? So are we? Are there people that we can tell? According to Tom Rainer, former president of Lifeway Christian Bookstore, 82% of unchurched people in the United States are, more, are likely to attend church if a friend, co-worker, neighbor, or family member invites them. 82% of the unchurched are likely to attend if someone invites them. Perhaps we need to, to pause on that response for a moment. Perhaps we need to restate it. Because what he has essentially said is that more than 8 out of 10 unchurched people said they would come to church if they were invited. Gallup estimates that 43% of Americans, that's 135 million people, are unchurched. If that research is close to accurate, the implications are, are mind-blowing. That more than 110 million people would attend church if they were invited. What, what constitutes an invitation? For many of the unchurched, it was a simple invitation to come to church. Uh, for others, it was an invitation that included an offer to meet someone who would, who would meet them at the building and walk them through and show them what to expect. Others, it was just a, an invitation to, to church and then lunch afterwards. Whatever it was, though, I mean, it was still pretty basic. The implication is that if we invite them, they will come. And so the next obvious question is, are Christians inviting non-church members or non-church people to church? 
And the heartbreaking answer to that question is no. According to that same LifeWay research by Tom Rainer, only 2% of church members invite an unchurched person to church. 2%. So walk with me through uh, a couple calculations. Let's suppose that instead of 82%, because that's a, na- that's a very nationalistic scale, um, o- let's imagine that only half of the unchurched in America would come to church if they were invited. That means that out of 135 million unchurched people, almost 68 million people would still be willing to come to church. Can you imagine how many people could be reached for Christ if that happened? Let me tell you, it's, it's a little more than 68 million people. That's the scale for our country. That doesn't even include the global impact. But that's on a national scale. Let's make it a little more local. Let's make it a little more personal. If you'll grab your bulletin for me. Go ahead and pick it up and flip it over to the side that has the 1045 worship order on it. At the bottom, you'll, you'll notice a section that says information. It's in the bulletin every week. Maybe you've, ne- you've never paid attention to it, but maybe now's the time to start. You'll notice that at the bottom, there's a section that says information, and it has our attendance numbers. It's in there every week. And if you're good at math, you will notice that our attendance for last Sunday was 248. Now, that number, it includes students who, by the way, are more likely to invite a person to church than an adult is. But it also includes babies, toddlers. It includes everybody in the spectrum. Now, what would happen? Let's just say, what, let's just imagine with me for a moment. What would happen if that 248 people who were in church last Sunday, in this church, Last Sunday, decided, hey, we're going to invite one more person. We're going to bring one more person over the course of the next year to church. What would happen? Well, immediately we know what would happen in our church, that our church would double in size. But, th- but that's not even the point that I want to get at, is, is how many people come to our church or how many people could. Let's make things even a little simpler. Many of that 248 number are from the same family. That's mom, dad, kids. And so for the sake of just this point, let's just assume that there are 50 family units in our church. I actually believe there are, there are more than that, but let's just assume 50 family units. What if we just said, okay, each family unit is going to invite one more person to church over the course of the next year. They're going to bring one more person to church over the course of the next year. What does, what does that do for our church? Well, it... It brings in 50 more people, but, but more than that, more than it bringing more people into our church, it represents one person that is being introduced to this most valuable commodity that could only be bought by the blood of Christ. They're being introduced to this, this thing that we have, that we have to offer them, to give to them, that is so valuable that only one person could buy it for us, and that's Jesus. And now they're being introduced into the kingdom of God, into the kingdom of heaven. That, that one person, they, that represents a soul that, that doesn't go to hell. That represents a person that's going to join us in heaven. That's what those, that those numbers represent. What would happen if we were a, a one more kind of people, a one more kind of church, where we're always just trying to bring in one more person? Because here's the reality of it, is that there will always be one more. We look around our church and and, and our community, and there's always going to be one more person who doesn't know the Lord. And Coca-Cola would never say, well, we've reached the, the pinnacle. We've reached the top. So why should we? Because we have something so much better than Coke. We have Jesus. We have eternal life. 
And that's exponentially more valuable than Coca-Cola could ever imagine to be. Now, I get it. I get it. There are lots of reasons why we won't invite someone to church or why we don't talk about our faith. It's not politically correct to do so. The evangelical majority is no longer the majority. We're now the minority in the population. So it it can be a little uncomfortable. It can be awkward. Um, Sometimes maybe we just don't think about it. or, Or maybe we're just afraid that we'll get rejected. Maybe we're afraid that if we, if we talk about our faith with our friend that it will create a, an awkward dynamic and, and they don't believe the same thing that we believe. So now there's this awkward tension between us. I get it. There are, there are lots of reasons why we don't. But what if someone had used any one of those reasons or other reasons to not share the gospel with you? Listen to me on this. We are all in this room this morning because somebody shared the gospel with us. Whether it was mom, dad, a preacher, youth minister, a friend, family member, whoever. Somebody shared the gospel with us because somebody looked at us and said, hey, that's one more person that needs to know about Jesus. So why would we not do what someone else has already done for us? Because it's exactly what Jesus did for us. If we were the only one, if we were the only one on the face of the planet, who would ever have believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, you know what he would have done? He would have still left heaven and he would have still came to earth and he would have still went to the cross and given up his life so that we might live eternally. And you know how I know that and how I can say that with such confidence? It's because of another story that Jesus told over in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 12, Jesus tells this story. He says, If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more more over than the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. You You got 100 sheep, you got 99 left in the pen, life is good, right? No, because you're missing one. There's one that is lost. There's one that is out there we got 250 people that come to this church. Life is good, right? No. Because there's at least one, more than that, that are out there that are lost. Jesus said the shepherd would leave the 99 and he would go out and he would, he would find that one and bring them back. we got to go out. There's too many people that live right next door to us that don't know about Jesus. we got to go out and bring them in. And I get it, going after lost sheep, we're going after that one more. It doesn't make all that much sense unless you are that one more. One farmer once said that he didn't, have to own all, he didn't want to own all the farmland in the county. He just wanted the farm next to his, the farm that touched his land. Well, what happens? You buy another farm, and guess what? Now your farm touches another farm, doesn't it? So you keep buying land. He had that one more mentality. Shouldn't that be the same mentality that we have as a church that we want to see One more, just one more come to have eternal life. That one more mentality, it's what motivated Desmond Doss uh, in in World War II. Desmond Doss is credited with saving the lives of 75 soldiers in one of the deadliest battles of World War II at Hacksaw Ridge on the island of Okinawa. The story of his courage and his faith are now uh, known by millions as a result of a movie that was, that was made called Hacksaw Ridge. It was directed by Mel Gibson. And in, in just a moment, we're going we're gonna to see a short little clip from that movie. But I'll tell you, the movie is not for the faint of heart. 
It shows the harsh realities of war in living color. And yet, the idea that this sacrificial love that he had took place in the midst of brutal combat makes this story all the more remarkable. At the end of the movie, the real Desmond Dawson, a documentary interview, describes what kept him going for 12 hours in the midst of a dark and dangerous battlefield to continue saving lives. This is what he said. He said, I was praying the whole time. I just kept praying, Lord, please help me get one more. In just a second, we're going to see this clip from, from the movie Hacksaw Ridge. And this clip is a remarkable testimony to the power of God if we will just go after one more. Let's watch the clip. Lord, help me get one more. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who's your one more? Who is it that the Lord may be pressing in on you for you to go after? To go after them and introduce them to the kingdom of God, to the kingdom of heaven. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to, that name that, that the Lord may be pressing in on you, I want you to take, take your bulletin, take a piece of paper, whatever, and I want you to write that name down. And then I want you to take this invite card. See, we gave you one in your bulletin. There's a bunch more out on the information desk. Take the one in your bulletin because you already have that one. And I want you to take whoever's name you wrote down, I want you to take this bulletin or this invite card and give it to them and invite them to come to one of these events with you, one of these services with you. To get them to come to one more event that they normally wouldn't come to. Maybe, maybe you don't know anybody. Maybe all your neighbors go, go to church and you don't know anybody, but you're going to go out to eat today. And you're going you're gonna to have a waitress or a waiter that, may, that you don't know their story, but they may need to know Jesus. They may be the one more. Take it with you and give it to them. It's as simple as just leaving it on the table. And, and that waitress may think, you know, I was looking for an Easter egg hunt to, to take my kids to. I'll take them to this one. Because Easter changed everything. That's what it says right on the card. Who's your one more? So take them this invite card and give them, give them this invite card. And I understand that, hey, it's, it's a little awkward just to, hey, hey, here's, here's an invite card. Come, come to church with me. I, I get that's a little awkward, so I want to help, help you facilitate the conversation. Out front, when you came in this morning, you saw a cooler that's got a, a bunch of Cokes and Diet Cokes in it. We think that if you, if you can share a Coke, then you can share the gospel, right? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take two Cokes, a Coke and a Diet Coke, or two Cokes, two Diet Cokes, it doesn't matter what, but take two Cokes, one, one for you and one for whoever you're going to invite to church. And you, you give them that Coke and give them this invite card. Share a Coke with them and share the gospel with them and invite them to come to church. The other one, you, you can drink it now, but I would encourage you to, to hold off on it. Set it somewhere on, on your kitchen counter, on your kitchen mantle. Maybe even write that person's name on the Coke can. And leave it there for it to be a reminder to you that, they, that there's one more out there. And so when, when they come to church, because if studies show if, if you invite them, they will come. When they come, you drink that Coke with them as a celebration that, that, they're, that they're trying to become a part of the kingdom of God and that you're doing your part in inviting one more. So who's your one more? Who is it? Who is it that God is, is writing on your heart that name? I guarantee you there's somebody that you know that needs to know Jesus. So share a Coke 
and share the gospel. Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. And uh, we are thankful for, for men like Desmond Doss who value life. They value life so much that they would sacrifice their own, that they would put their own lives in, in, in jeopardy so that they might save one more. Father, may stories like his inspire us and encourage us to, to do whatever it takes possible to find that one more. Because, Father, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He looked at us and he said, that's one more person. So, Father, my prayer is simply this, that we would, we would be a church, that we would quit imagining churches that, that are, are the kind of churches that invite people and, and, and love people so well, and that we would just become that church. That we would do whatever it takes, short of sin, to, to see one more person come to know you. Father, inspire us, encourage us, give us bold boldness. so that the kingdom of God will grow and souls will be rescued from the gates of hell. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.